listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. My name is Erin Carter Warren. I'm Dick Carter's daughter, for those of you who don't know me. For those of you who do, I'm glad to be able to do this for you this morning. Um, currently, we're living in Virginia, but we're on vacation, actually, in Montana. So, hello from across the country. Um, our scripture reading for today is Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. And I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was risen from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be unified or united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the lives he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Aaron. We are in the midst of a teaching series on the book of Romans. We've been in Romans for a while now. We still got ways to go, but we are currently working our way through the second major section of this book, Romans chapters 5 to 8, where Paul spells out his understanding really of salvation in the Christian life. Last week we talked about Jesus as the new Adam. This week we're talking about dying and rising with Christ and what that all has to do with baptism. There's a lot of stuff happening in this passage. A lot of it probably sounds confusing. Big picture though, Paul is talking about sin and how as followers of Jesus, we are now dead to sin and alive in Christ. We're actually going to get a little bit more into that element of this chapter next week. For this week, though, I want to look very specifically about what Paul has to say about death, 
resurrection and baptism. Because we're Baptists, right? This, this is a Baptist church, and I'm a Baptist preacher, so you know I'm going to have a thing or two to say about baptism. Now, in most churches, we usually think about baptism almost as more of like a, an initiation rite, right? It's like the first step a new believer takes, publicly declaring their faith in Jesus as Lord. Some churches baptize infants. Uh, other churches like ours baptize adult believers. We're not going to get into all the minutia of that today. Instead, I want to look specifically at what Paul has to say about baptism here in Romans 6. Because it is pretty different from the way we usually talk about baptism in the church. And if you didn't notice when this passage was read a moment ago, uh, it's also a bit morbid. Let's, let's check out what Paul has to say here. We'll start in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What's happening with all this talk about death and resurrection connected to baptism. We've been baptized in the death of Christ, buried with him by baptism, united with him in death. That all sounds a little dark, Paul. (laughs) What does baptism have to do with death? Why this strong connection between Christ's death and resurrection and our own baptism? To really get at this, we've got to talk, well, we've got to talk about life and death, and the afterlife. You know, not not a big topic or anything, just just life, death, and the afterlife. Small beans here at Brockport First Baptist. Seriously though, how do we understand life and death? How do we think about life, death, and the afterlife? That's a question we've gotta wrestle with, believe it or not, if we want a robust view of baptism. To get into this, I want to start by talking about the standard approach. Let's call this the standard model. This is the way, I think it's safe to say, most people in our culture and in the church think about life, death, and the afterlife. You basically start out with life. We get 80 or 90 years of that if we're lucky. And then there's the afterlife, which goes on forever. And the thing standing between life and the afterlife, the thing that that separates them and serves as a bridge between them, is death. This is the way that most people in our culture, and I think most Christians as well, understand life, death, and the afterlife. You live your life, you die, and then you go someplace else. By the way, this is going to be a very visual sermon. We're going to have um, a lot of pictures along the way illustrating these points, charts, things like that. Um, So if you have me listening to this teaching through our podcast feed, you're going to miss a lot. But you can just head over to the sermon page on our website. That's brockportfirstbaptist.org slash sermons. And you'll find all the images we're using for this teaching. They should be posted there by about midweek. 
Here again is the standard model, the, the standard way I think it's safe to say that most modern Western people are thinking about life, death, and the afterlife. It's definitely got some strengths. It is very neat. It's very uh, linear and rational. Uh, it's very individualistic, right? Like this is basically the individual person's journey through life to whatever comes next. There's not much uh, uh, reference to, to community or things like that. There's a lot we could say about the standard model, and we will get into that in a little bit. The important point, though, for our purposes, is that if you want to understand Paul and all this stuff he's saying about death and baptism, the standard model is not very useful. And that's because Paul didn't follow it. Paul is not uh, a modern Westerner. Paul was operating with a much more ancient, a much more biblically shaped, we might even say like Hebraic, you know, Hebrew understanding of life and death. And that would have looked more like this. When the ancient Hebrews thought about life, death, and the afterlife, they had a much more cosmic perspective of it all. And that was rooted in their trust that God would one day come to set things right. This is not an individual person's journey through life to the afterlife. If we look at the, the, the picture on your screen, the first part of the bar, the, the blue part, represents the whole scope of history. God's activity in history, the, the story of God journeying with God's people, leading them toward new creation. And then on the other end of the bar, you've got the kingdom of God. Because when ancient Jews thought about the future, their hope was not in some disembodied afterlife where we're all floating around on the clouds in heaven. Their hope was in the arrival of God's kingdom here on earth. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, as it was also called, is coming here. That's the hope at the heart of ancient Judaism. That's the future reality when God will come in full to renew the earth, resurrect the dead, and live with God's people on a new earth forever. When Jesus instructed his disciples to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, this is what he was talking about. And the, the gateway, the door between human history and the kingdom of God isn't death. It's resurrection. The Jewish hope in the first century, when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, was that God would one day send a savior, a messiah, an anointed king. And that king would inaugurate God's kingdom here on earth. He would raise the dead, vanquish evil, make all things new. That's resurrection. This is what the ancient Hebraic understanding of life, death, and the afterlife looked like. And it is a pretty big departure from the standard model we work with today. And as a good uh, Torah-observant Jewish man and Pharisee in the first century, this is the model Paul would have grown up with. This would have been the hope that propelled his faith. And it's also 
the model that would have moved him to persecute the early church. Remember, Paul starts out as an enemy of the church. He was a Pharisee. It was his job to go around to the local synagogues, rounding up the Christians and handing them over to the authorities to be dealt with. And that's because in the first century, to have a bunch of Christians running around claiming that the Messiah had already come, moreover, that the Messiah had died at the hands of the Romans, well, that just didn't make any sense. I mean, look at the model. When the Messiah comes, that's supposed to be the end of the story. That's the end of history as we know it. If the dead are not raised, if Rome is still in control, if the new creation hasn't arrived, then there is no way the Messiah has come. But then one day, Paul was on his way to Damascus to round up some Christians, and he ran into Jesus. Or really, more accurately, Jesus ran into him, if you, if you know the story. Paul encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and that changed everything. That forced Paul to modify the model he was working with, to change the hope that had propelled his faith. And the result of that, what we might call the New Testament model or the the Paulian model, looks something like this. Just at first glance, this still looks a lot like the Hebraic model. That's definitely the starting point. You still have human history on one end of the spectrum and then the kingdom of God coming in full at the end of history. But there's an important modification. We've got this in-between time where human history continues, but the kingdom of God enters into it. It, it overlaps with it, permeates it, and grows from within it. See, the early Christians believed that the Messiah had arrived early. Rather than showing up at the end of history as a, as a conqueror, Jesus entered human history and established his kingdom within it. The kingdom of God is already here. And that kingdom was established by the resurrection of Christ. You see, for the early Christians, the the new creation, that hope that Paul and his fellow Jews in the first century were waiting for, the early Christians believed that had already begun. The new creation had already gotten started. It would still come in its fullness at some later date with like a resurrection of everyone. But in a very real sense, for these first Christians, God's kingdom had already come. It had already started, already been inaugurated with the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is how Paul understood history, and it gives us a much better template for how the first Christians thought about life, death, and the afterlife. You start out with your life before Christ, the journey we all start out on, making our way 
through this broken world as best we can in the midst of sin and suffering and death. And of course, at the other end of the spectrum, you've still got life for eternity in God's kingdom, that that future hope of new creation arriving in full. But between the two, we have this in-between time, this overlap, where we are living as subjects of God's kingdom while the kingdoms of this world persist. This is where the Christian life is lived. This is where discipleship happens. This is where our faith, our salvation is put into practice. And if the death and resurrection of Jesus inaugurates the kingdom on a cosmic scale, then the beginning of this in-between time for the individual believer is our baptism. Baptism provides the same function for our lives that the death and resurrection of Jesus provides for the whole universe. This is what Paul was getting at when he wrote that we have been baptized into the death of Christ. Our baptism is our entry point into God's kingdom, the kingdom that began with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Whenever we do our membership class at church, uh, Brockport Baptist Basics, and I talk about baptism, I always start out by saying that baptism is a death ritual. And the looks of terror I get from everybody when I say that are awesome, totally worth it. But it's true. Baptism is a death ritual. In baptism, we die to our old lives, our lives BC, and we enter into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, the symbolism is pretty on the nose, right? The the new believer literally descends into the grave, into the waters with Christ, only to be raised with him to new life. This is why at various points in church history, when Christians have faced persecution and martyrdom, they stayed strong even unto death. If we think about like the very first Baptists, like our ancestors in the faith, they got going during the Protestant Reformation. And there were these Christians who, they renounced their infant baptism, renounced their membership in the state-sponsored church, and they got re-baptized as adults into God's kingdom. And the powers that be didn't like that very much. Whether we're talking about like Protestants or Catholics, secular authorities like kings or church authorities like bishops, everyone in power viewed those first Baptists as a threat. And that's because they had the audacity to renounce their membership in the worldly kingdom and, and its churches and instead get baptized into God's kingdom. For the first century or so of the Baptist movement, the punishment for getting re-baptized across most of Europe was death by drowning. If the authorities found out that you had been re-baptized, they would take you back off into the spot where you were baptized, chain you up, and throw you in. You want to be baptized? We'll baptize you. But these first Baptists, these these ancestors of ours in the faith, 
they step boldly into the waters of baptism anyway. They publicly announced their new faith, knowing full well what the punishment might be. And they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid to die because in a very real sense, they, they had already died. They had already been buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, and they were already experiencing eternal life. Because again, you are here. This is where the Christian life is lived, from our first public identification with Christ at baptism to the arrival of new creation in full. We live in the overlap. We are citizens of God's kingdom living in the midst of human history. See, the real power of this model is that it places not just our baptisms, but our lives, our journey within a much broader context. Our salvation is unfolding within a bigger story, the story of God redeeming the world and bringing about new creation. Let's go back and look at the standard model for just a second to make, make some comparisons. Right off the bat, when we compare Paul's approach to the New Testament to the standard model, the standard model looks pretty narrow and small. There's no larger story here. There's no cosmic vision. This is just the path of the individual on this lonely journey through this life and the next. The standard model can be incredibly anxiety-inducing, too. And that's because it assumes this inherent disconnection between this life and the life to come. Because death is a one-way door, right? We don't know exactly what lies on the other side, uh, very few people have come back to tell us. So we have this anxiety, this uncertainty that we live with, which can lead to all sorts of fear. This is why so much of religion builds on fear. Fear of death, fear of the other, fear of the unknown, fear of what comes next. You might have learned something similar to the standard model in church. I know I did as a kid. And what the standard model does is it turns religion into insurance for the afterlife. Religion within the standard Western model is a way of checking all the right boxes, saying all the right prayers, believing all the right things, so that you get to spend the afterlife in the good place and not the bad place. There is no broader vision there. There's no story. It's fire insurance, basically. With the standard model, this life, the life we are living here and now in the present, is almost totally disconnected from the life to come. At best, this is a warm-up. Our one chance to get it right before we die and move on to the main event. And forgive me for being blunt, but I could not be less interested in that. 
I could not be less interested in a religion where our faith is almost totally disconnected from our lives in the present. A religion where baptism is reduced to a box you check to join the church. That just doesn't interest me at all. Especially if it still leaves us with this looming anxiety. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with Christians who have this crippling fear about the afterlife. How do I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die? How do I know that I'm really saved? How do I know that I'll get to experience eternal life with God? The best answer we get from the standard model is, well, just have faith. Just believe. And I'm all for having faith, by the way. I think, I think that's a good thing to clarify. But the New Testament model, Paul's model, with its more cosmic scope, gives us a much more satisfying answer. We have already died at baptism and been raised with Christ. The eternal life God promises is already available to us right here in the present. There's this famous story in the Bible where Jesus meets this woman at a well. And they get to talking and they start talking about eternal life and the way to eternal life. Jesus tells this woman that the water he offers, if she enters into it, will become this this wellspring within us, gushing forth to eternal life. All the verbs in that story are present tense, by the way. It's not that eternal life will gush forth from this wellspring within us sometime in the future. No, eternal life gushes forth. It wells up within us. It is available right here and right now. So if you're a Christian and you're worried about the afterlife, you're anxious about eternal life and whether or not you'll make it into God's kingdom, the question I would ask is, are you experiencing eternal life now? Are you living in God's kingdom right here in the present? Are you being transformed by the Holy Spirit? Are you uh, becoming an agent of reconciliation to those around you? Is God's love flowing through you to other people? Are you being drawn to love your neighbors and even have compassion for your enemies? Is that new life Christ offers a reality in your life now? Are you experiencing the joy of the Lord? If the answer to that is yes, even if it's in a small degree but growing, then you're already in it. You are already a citizen of God's kingdom. You are participating in and experiencing eternal life. The life to come is just going to look like this life, but without the burden of sin, suffering, and death. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. Sign me up, right? But the answer to all those questions, if, if the answer to that is no, if you're not being transformed, If you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord, you're not being moved to to love your enemies and participate in that new life Christ offers right here and now, if the answer to that is no, then maybe you need a new model. 
Maybe you need to move beyond the standard model of a disembodied afterlife totally disconnected from this one and instead embrace Paul's approach of entering into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus right here in the present. And if you're someone watching this who's not a Christian, you like you haven't been baptized, you haven't begun that journey of new life with Christ, then I want to personally invite you to consider taking that first step of faith. If participating in the resurrected life right here and now makes sense to you, if that appeals to you, let's do it. Let's talk. Let's get connected. Let's talk about faith and following Jesus and what that looks like. And maybe you can be part of the next group of people here at our church to enter into the waters of baptism. Email me at the address on your screen if you want to get connected and chat more about that. This is what Paul is talking about when he says that we have been baptized into Christ's death and raised with him in the resurrection. It is not something morbid or dark. It is the hope at the very center of our faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for the invitation to live in your kingdom as your people right here and right now. Thank you for the invitation to follow Jesus as our Lord and to unite our stories with your story. The story of how you are making all things new. God, I pray for anyone listening who isn't experiencing that new life you offer. I pray that whatever is holding them back, whatever is keeping them tethered to the old model, God, remove those obstacles and empower them to enter fully into your kingdom and receive the new life that you offer right here and right now. For those of us who already know you, Lord, call us into an even deeper state of love and union with you. And for those who don't, God, I pray that you would make yourself known. I pray that they may hear your voice and receive the invitation to enter into the waters of baptism and declare their allegiance to you as Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.